Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you for joining me. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week. If you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, be sure you go ahead and do that now. I do come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning for you, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, today on the podcast, first up, we're going to have the story of Violet. And that's about Violet, my golden retriever, my female golden, and how she came to be a part of the pack. So it's kind of interesting to hear. Then we're going to have why your tone with your dog matters. How you communicate with them. That tone is very important, the how and why. We're going to dive into that. Then we're going to have our breed of the week and our listener Q&A. Of course, if you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram and Facebook, Speak a Dogcast. And before we get going today, got to give you that trivia question. And today's trivia question is, what breed of dog has the longest ears? Now, what breed of dog has the longest ears? And I'll give you the answer to today's question somewhere in the podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the story of how I got my dog, Violet. Now, Violet uh, was not always my dog. She actually started out as a client dog. And Violet is my golden retriever, my female golden retriever, and she's beautiful cream, English cream colored dog. And she really has become such an amazing part of our pack. And she's been with us since, well, let's see, 2015. Uh, yeah, it was fall 2015, and she was about uh, 11 months old when we actually got her, and she became ours. But I started working with her at four months old in the capacity that, like I said, that she was a client dog. And so, I got the call, went to do a consultation, and I, I really, I remember the consultation pretty vividly, and she was really sweet to begin with, right? She was actually pretty cooperative at first, and they were explaining the issues that they were having, and while she wasn't displaying any of those behaviors, you know, she was very sweet and everything, I could definitely see there was this bit of an edge or an attitude <laughs> about her, this confidence, which is a good thing in a way. Confidence can really be molded into a phenomenal dog, and that's that's what we have now, Uh but, you know, you could see there was something there. There was something underneath. And, you know, it wasn't until we got to the end of the consultation. And, you know, most of the consultation we'd actually spent outside on the patio chatting about everything. And I leashed her up a bit and doing, a, you know, a couple things and working with her. And when we walked back inside, I think she had just run back in on her own. And she immediately went over to the table. It was like a, like a kitchen table, you know. And it was with intent. And I could see she reached up to grab something off the table. If I remember correctly, it was like a bone of some kind. And I went to tap her on the side to redirect her because, I mean, she put her paws up, you know, on the table to get this thing off. And when I went to tap her on the back, just a little tap to redirect her, she turned around, let out this deep, nasty, snarling growl and tried to take my hand off. So it's obvious we had some issues going on. <laughs> I mean, that, it wasn't just like a, hey, kind of, you know, leave me alone. This is mine. It was a, I'm coming after you, right? It was it was not okay, really. So again, we could see there was definitely some behavioral problems. And the owners told me that she'd been like this since day one. You know, since the first day they picked her up, since she came to them as a really young puppy, she had been displaying these behaviors. And, you know, something else, I'm not, I'm not a mind reader. I can't tell you 
why she decided to up and one day start being like this. Uh, but traumatizing experiences can happen even within the first few weeks of a puppy's life. Now, this is total speculation for my part, right? I, this is just total speculation. This is a wild guess. But Violet is, she's a little bit on the smaller side for a golden. She's not a big, big golden, not a big girl. And it is possible that she could have been the runt of the litter. And if she was the runt, she would have to fight harder for food, for affection. And believe it or not, that alone can reinforce those kind of possessive tendencies early on and create those behaviors, even at such a young age. I mean, really. So, and again, that's total speculation. I don't know for sure, for sure what happened, but when you do have a pack of puppies, when you got a group of puppies, it, as a breeder, it's impossible, especially if it's a large group. And I do believe she was a, a large litter. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to keep track of every dog behaviorally, exactly what they're doing and be able to, to head off that stuff with every single dog. And of course, naturally in the pecking order of things in the pack, what happens to the runt a lot of times, if there's no human intervention, the runt's going to be left to die. Unfortunately, that's, that's the way it goes. Nature's not always the nicest. So again, those kind of things, if they're not redirected properly, if we don't head those behaviors off quick enough, yeah, they can they can compound really quickly and create that kind of undesired behaviors really early on in a dog's life by no fault of the owner, right? By no fault of their own, this stuff came up. So it's, it's, that's a little funky to deal with a four-month-old dog that's being that nasty. Um, so, you know, she came to me for a puppy boot camp for a couple weeks and I mean, really, we made some great progress really fast. She was a young puppy, four months. So luckily these behaviors, while they were intense, they weren't too ingrained. They hadn't been really strengthened over a long period of time. So it makes it a little bit easier to undo and work with that, especially if you kind of, if you know what you're doing, know what to look for, you know, I mean, honestly, she was a chill pup most of the time. She really was. She was a pretty chill dog uh, when you kept her properly exercised and stimulated. And, you know, after the boot camp, really, for the most part, she actually did really well going back home uh, to start with. <laughs> but the possessive stuff, all that stuff had really kind of gone away. Um, and she really was turning into a phenomenal little puppy. But, you know, a couple months went by and we're doing our follow-up sessions and everything. And they used to board her with me quite a bit as well. And maybe the family didn't stick with the training as they should have. Um, you know, look, there was this, I believe it was 4th of July uh, that I was boarding her and I picked her up for boarding. And then when I got to where we were going, I opened up the car door to let her out and she vomited up six unblown up balloons and a giant rawhide toy still fully intact, swallowed whole. Now, I don't allow rawhides in my house, so I know the rawhide didn't come from my car, and I didn't, I don't have children, <laughs> I don't really keep balloons in the house. Um, and, you know, I had, I had to pick up the phone and call the owners and go, hey guys, look, like, your dog just threw up a lot of things she shouldn't be eating. You really need to be keeping an eye on her. Maybe this tells me that, you know, you're not exercising or stimulating her enough. You really, you know, you got to get on this because this could be dangerous. This could kill her. And unfortunately, guys, two weeks later, man, I got the phone call from them that said they had been, they had to rush her to the emergency vet because she had swallowed a bunch of other crap. Uh, I don't remember if it was a sock or what it was but it was clogging her up. And had they not gone in and done that emergency surgery, she might not have made it. Um, you know, just, ah, man, stinks. She nearly lost her life because of that. And you know something, look, I, I don't, I, I really don't blame these owners. Like these these two owners, uh, I believe they were probably in their 40s at the time when we, when we started. They had never had a dog before, neither one of them. Neither one of them had ever had a dog, a puppy, not when they were kids, not as adults. 
And that's tough. If you if you don't know, you know, if it's a brand new experience for you, that's that's a whole different experience. And then on top of that, it's a puppy. And then let's 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 add one more layer on that. And this puppy's got possessive issues to start with. That's a lot to throw at someone that doesn't have that experience of working uh, with dogs before. So, um, you know, I, I, I get it to some degree. Now, at the same time, I think if they had been exercising her more, giving her the walks, doing things a little more structured and proper, I don't know that she would have been so bored in eating things like that. I don't because, you know, it, it got to a point um, where I think they decided, well, I know they decided uh, they weren't dog people. They weren't dog people. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Because again, how would you know you're a dog person without experiencing a dog? I mean, really, I mean, that, that's, that's tough. Um, so I don't blame them at all. I really don't. Like I said, the only thing maybe we could <laughs> find fault in is that maybe they should have been exercising a little more, but yeah, you know, they called me up. She was 11 months old at that point, And they said, look, we're just, we're not dog people. And like I said, it's totally fine. They said, look, we want to rehome her, but we don't just want to give her away. We're not, we're not rehoming her to someone we don't know. Um, we'll hang on to her as long as it takes. And they said, no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. But if you're interested, look, they knew I loved her. They knew that I absolutely loved her. When she came for boarding, my wife and I, we really fell in love with her. She was a really great little pup in our house. And um, I, again, you guys have heard it before. My favorite breed is a golden retriever. So I'm a sucker for a golden, uh, and a golden puppy. Yeah. It's not hard to convince me to take one of those. So, um, uh, but you know, it was, it was, it, it, we had to make it right and do everything correctly and make sure, uh, it was a good transition and what everybody needed and wanted and what was best for the dog as well. And it was, it was, you know, so, um, puppies are a lot of work guys. Puppies are a lot of work. I mean, just a side note, you, if you haven't ever had a puppy, maybe you haven't, you're listening to this. You've never had a puppy. Puppies are a ton of work. Okay. My wife and I have been talking about getting a new puppy for probably close to a year now. This is what I do 24 seven. And we've even hesitated on it because partially because I'm, I'm realistic. I know I've got dogs coming in and out of the, in and out of this house. Look, my wife was in school uh, or actually she was studying for the CPA. She passed it. Yay. Congratulations, Jen. So proud of her. I really am. Uh, it's amazing. She's worked her butt off. Uh, but, um, but no, you know, it wasn't, the point is it wasn't necessarily the best timing for us to get a puppy back. You know, now we're, now we're looking more into it and we've talked about that. Uh, but, yeah, puppies are a ton of work and you need to know what you're getting into. And that, again, it's tough if you've never had one to truly understand the magnitude of work, of time, of energy it takes to watch, especially you got a retriever, right? You got to watch retriever puppies. You got to be careful with them. They're very mouthy. They like to eat things. It's a part of what goes into having a retriever puppy. So you have to be on your game all the time. You know, I'm not comparing it to having a kid because a kid is obviously a thousand times more work, but it's similar to having a child in that sense that you have to have a lot of dedication, time, brain power, energy, all the stuff you have to put into it. It's consistency, repetition. It's, oh, it's exhausting, guys. It's exhausting having a puppy. Um, believe me, I have them come in and out of the house every couple of weeks. I, <laughs> I know it's a great problem to have in my line of work, but man, it's exhausting. So again, they asked if we wanted, uh, to, to have, they, they, you know, they wanted to rehome her in a good home and what better home than having an amazing pack of dogs already for her to be a part of, to have her be a part of doggy day camps all the time. I mean, it's, it's an awesome environment to be a dog living here. So 
they rehomed her with us. We took her at 11 months old and she transitioned to the pack so beautifully because she had been, you know, she'd been a part of my pack with boarding, with boot camp, with all that good stuff before. And like I said, wonderful transition. And wouldn't you know it, we never had a problem with her eating anything in our house. We didn't, never did. She never ate anything in our home. She never chewed anything in our home. Uh, and really, guys, it's attributed to the fact that I kept her busy. I kept her stimulated. I took her on daily walks. We gave her stuff to do. We gave her a job. We had structure. All the things I preach in this podcast that I do with my own dogs, and it's what creates stability for a dog, okay? So we didn't run into those issues. Now, again, it's easier for me to do. This is what I do 24-7. Heck of a lot easier to create a consistency for a dog in this household than the average person who works eight hours a day, has four children. Um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. But I'm so grateful. I'm so like, oh, I love her. Violet has turned into such an amazing amazing dog and it's really been cool to see her transformation especially her like she started as this four-month-old possessive aggressive nasty dog i mean really guys it was it was not pretty stuff and to see that transition of her coming from that to now she's my star girl i love it when i'm out in public and people are loving on her and petting on her and i get to go yeah this dog used to be nasty possessive aggressive and they go her no way i don't believe you uh, because of how sweet she is now. She loves people. She loves affection. She's this little social butterfly. Um, same time, she's a great little farm dog. <laughs> she loves living on five acres now out here, uh, out in the country. And it, it's just, she's become such an amazing part of the pack. And like I said, I take her on appointments now. She's really, um, you know, as as my regular listeners know, unfortunately, at the beginning of March, we lost uh, my, my old girl, my half-lab, half-great Dane Penny Lane. And I used to use Penny a lot on appointments. She used to come with me and be a part and work with me. And she was such a phenomenal dog at gauging other dogs and working with them and, and teaching them. And Violet has really, really stepped it up just in the past month, um, filling that role. And it's been so neat. Again, watching that transformation from where she started as a four-month-old puppy to where she is now, you know, and it's just... Ah, I love her. She's a good girl. <laughs> she's a good girl. I've posted a couple pictures recently on uh, on Instagram. And again, she's my, my English cream colored golden retriever, Violet. But I just wanted to share that story with you, you know, and there's a couple things to take away from that story. It's a little bit of a learning moment, right? Um, know what you're getting into when you get a puppy if you can. Again, not always easy to do if you've never experienced it, but just know there are a ton of work, a ton of time, a ton of dedication, and sometimes a ton of money. She had to have that surgery, right? Um, so keep that in mind when you're getting a puppy, guys. Be, be, be knowledgeable of the breed you're getting, if it fits your lifestyle, and if it's going to work best for you and your family, and of course, for the dog, right? So you definitely want to be mindful of that. And the other side, the other lesson of the day is get out and walk your dog, right? It's what I preach all the time. You've got to get out there and give your dog a job, give them something to do. And the walk, that's the best and easiest way to do it. And you'd be surprised by creating that consistency, making the walk about focus. Remember, walks are 85% mental, 15% physical. Uh, making that walk have focus, have a purpose, have determination. That's what's going to make your dog happier and healthier, keeping them from being anxious, keeping them from chewing things, from eating things they shouldn't, uh, really goes a long way. So this story really highlights the importance of keeping your dog stimulated and keeping your dog happy and healthy.
tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and more. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Boss. Located in Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's why your tone matters with your dog. Tone is very important when we're working with our dogs. Yeah, it really is. And you know, it's especially important when working with a dog in particular as opposed to other animals because we've really bred dogs to be in tune with us, right? And it's not to say they read our emotions. I mean, to some degree, they do. To some degree, they can definitely learn to read emotions. But I think we all sort of learn to read emotions based on patterns. We learn what happiness is with human beings by seeing a person who acts a certain way. We see the behaviors they exhibit in their life, the things they do, the, the things that might bring them happiness. And then we see the end result of happiness. And that's how we judge what happiness is, right? And the same thing with sadness. And so it's no different that a dog can sort of read our tones that, hey, when I talk like this and hey, good boy, I start petting them. I start giving them food. I give them treats. I, you know, uh, give affection. And that's what they pick up on. They pick on up on the pattern of it. So it's not necessarily they can read our emotions. Now, I do believe there is some instinctual built-in uh, mechanisms in all of us, right? I mean, we've, we've, we've proven it we've, through experimentation. There are built-in uh, cues that we know what anger is in a way, or really aggressiveness, or, or violence. or And we've even proven with human beings that babies don't like shouting, right? Babies don't like those intense um, uh, tones and things like that. So there is some biological built-inness to a dog in general, just to be able to pick up. But but us breeding them, us domesticating them, us creating a domesticated dog um, in the way we went about it and the certain traits and attributes that we reinforced and, and, and bred, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think dogs really cue into tone more than we realize and more than any animal that I work with, uh, any other animal, any other species that I've worked with, dogs are really in tune with tone, okay? So, of course, like I said, they can kind of interpret a little bit of that. Are they reading my emotions? No, I don't think it's quite that, quite that in depth. And we're not going off on emotions and animals today. <laughs> but we'll talk about, but, but that tone. Okay, so I always want to convey what I'm trying to, uh, what the piece of the puzzle is I'm trying to tell the dog, right? So if I'm trying to convey reinforcement, then I want my tone to reflect that. If I'm trying to convey punishment, same thing. I want my tone to reflect that. Now, the first thing I want to say is, I've talked about this before, intensity. I want you to have intensity when you're working with your dog. And people go, well, dad, you don't want to be angry. Well, no, I don't want you to be angry. I want you to be intense. And there's a difference, okay? Um, intensity 
equals confidence. I say this a lot. Intensity equals confidence. And so when I say be intense, I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to be upset. But here, here's my, you know, here's how I say good boy or good girl or good dog or whatever. I say, hey, good boy. Hey, good boy. Good girl. Good dog. Good. Good boy. Hey, good boy. You hear the intensity behind that? There's passion behind it. <laughs> no, but, but there is. There's intensity. There's meaning. There's purpose. I'm being purposeful even with my tone. So you have to have intensity in your tone. And intensity doesn't mean anger. It just means that confidence, that purposefulness. Okay. So whether I'm reinforcing, whether I'm punishing, whether I'm redirecting, there's always going to be intensity in my tone. Uh, maybe when I'm trying to redirect, hey, I see a dog about to go for something they shouldn't. It's a, hey, leave it. Hey, leave it. Good boy. Good leave it. Right. You hear that? You can hear the difference in the tone versus punishment versus reinforcement, right? Of course, you can you can clearly hear that difference. But the one thing that doesn't change is my intensity. It's something I, I, I have to teach clients sometimes is intensity. Because I get these clients who go, hey, hey, sit. Hey, sit. Sit. Hey, hey, sit. Does that sound intense? No. It doesn't sound scared. It's not like, hey, sit. Sit. <laughs> it's nothing like that. But it doesn't sound intense. And if there's no intensity, there's no confidence. And if there's no confidence, your dog is going to want to ignore you. Okay. What this goes back to is survival. And I know you want tone and now we're talking about survival. What are you talking about, David? Yeah, no, believe it or not. Um, it really, at the end of the day, what does every animal want? We've talked about the stability, stability, right? In order to create stability, we have to have control. Okay. We have to have control. And in order to gain control, whether it be in human society or a pack of dogs, in order to gain control, we have to have a good leader. We have to have good leadership and intensity equals leadership. And that starts with your tone. Okay. So again, I don't want you to be angry, but I want you to be sure of yourself. I, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to follow somebody's lead. Who's not sure of themselves and your dogs your dogs are going to be exactly the same way. Um, look, I have a wonderful family. I, I, I've loved working with them so far, and I love their dog. I really do. He's, he's such a sweetheart, a little puppy, a big puppy, but little puppy. <laughs> and um, it's amazing because I can look at him and go, hey, sit, and he'll sit right down. Okay. The owner, and again, this was the transition from a boot camp. We were, they were learning. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not picking on them. They're learning. It's part of the process. But they go there and they go, hey, sit, sit, and the dog doesn't listen to them. Now, even though this dog has spent a couple weeks with me and we've been solidified, I can turn him and go sit and boom, he's right down. They don't get that same result right away necessarily. And it's because of that tone. It's because the dog goes, uh, you don't sound confident. I don't really want to listen. Why would I want to follow that? Right? It's pretty simplistic when you think about it. Why would that dog want to take in information from somebody who doesn't seem sure of themselves? If you don't seem sure of yourself, why should I listen to you? <laughs> right? So confidence, or excuse me, tone and intensity with that tone equals confidence. And confidence equals your dog goes, oh, you know what you're talking about. Cool. I want to follow everything you have to say, whether it be discipline or reward. I'm all about this because this guy is sure of himself. That goes a long way, guys. It really does. You can even have good timing, but if you don't have confidence in your tone, forget it. You're not going to train your dog. You have to have good tone and you have to have good confidence behind that tone. Okay. So let's talk about that tone. What should your tone sound like again? When I'm redirecting a dog, 
uh, let's just say his name, uh, her name, whatever, their name is Fluffy. <laughs> so I'm going to go, hey, Fluffy, good boy. Oh, that's a good boy. Fluffy, sit. Good boy. Good Fluffy. Now, I don't know if you can hear that dog collar jingling in the background. <laughs> How amazing is that? I have a puppy in boot camp in the room with me and she's asleep. She was asleep. And just by me redirecting with that confident tone, she sat right up and perked up and was like, hey, oh, what are we doing? What's going on, David? Because I gave off a confident tone. And I will say that kissy noise. I use that kissy noise as a redirection a lot. Um, a little side note here, guys. Kissy noise is great. The kissy noise is a phenomenal redirection to redirect your dog and get them regain, regaining focus. So it was incredible just going, Fluffy, hey, come here, Fluffy. That this dog, there she is again. Can you hear the collar? She just got up and walked over to me. Hi, sweetheart. That's a good girl. Good girl. <laughs> got to reward good behavior, even if I'm in the middle of recording. I don't want to uh, miss that opportunity. Now she's giving me some cute puppy kisses on the leg. Good girl. <laughs> good job, sweetheart. Good girl. Okay, sorry. I don't want to get too sidetracked by an adorable puppy. It happens sometimes, though, right? Um, and when she just sat down, what a good girl sat down on her own. Now she's relaxing like a good puppy because she knows what to do. Okay. All right. All right. So what was I talking about? <laughs> tone. No, of course, this whole thing is about tone. So I can't stress it enough, guys. You have to have confidence in that tone. So that's what it should sound like. You heard it. You heard it. Hey, Fluffy. Good. Good girl. Good boy. Sit. Oh, good. Good boy. Good girl. Fluffy, lie down. Good. Good boy. Good girl. Look at her. Look at her. She's queuing into this like crazy, guys. <laughs> it's amazing. And she should. That's what she's supposed to be doing. That's what I've trained. Okay? So, um, <laughs> tone is everything. Tone is everything. I, I go on appointments a lot where I can get a dog to do something from 30 feet away when the owner is holding that leash all because of how my tone sounds. The owner's two feet from that dog asking the same thing and can't get the dog to do it. And it really is because of their tone, because tone is confidence and a dog wants to listen to confidence. And if you don't sound confident, they're not going to listen to you. It's that simple. Okay. So the other hard part is you'll notice that that tone sounds pretty happy. It sounds pretty excitable. It sounds like, hey, I want to listen to that. Here's, a, here's something that's really hard to do with tone. When you're out on a walk with your dog, and let's say your dog has a behavioral problem where they do react to other dogs, or they or they chase a squirrel, and one of these, the point is there's a trigger that comes up, and the dog reacts to the trigger, right? Most people's first instinct is to go, Fluffy, Fluffy, no, Fluffy, Fluffy, even if Fluffy hasn't done anything wrong yet. Your tone is already conveying to your dog, hey, ignore me. <laughs> Okay, because that's what you're saying. Think of it this way. It's really basic. Think of it this way. That dog has two choices. It can either try to chase after this trigger that it likes to chase after, and it's gotten away with it in the past, or it can listen to this really angry person. <laughs> Let me ask you, if you're the dog, which one do you think you're going to try? Listen to the angry person or go after this fun thing I can chase or bark at? Okay, so in that moment, when your dog is about to bolt, when your dog is about to react, or even if they are reacting, the worst thing you can do is get mad at them and have that tone sound frustrated. Because as I've talked about in the past, you're a mirror. If you're angry and your tone is, fr even not even angry, if your tone is frustrated, then all you're doing is telling that dog to reflect back frustration right back at you, right? Okay. You need to be a mirror. If you want your dog to be calm, you need to be calm. If you want your dog to cue into you and redirect that focus back up at you, guess what you need to sound like? Hey, Fluffy, come in. 
Hey, buddy. Good boy. There's the collar again, right? Redirection's working like crazy with this puppy. <laughs> um, it's great. It's phenomenal. She's, she's Again, she's supposed to be queuing in when I do that, so I love it. Um, but yeah, it's hard in that moment. It's hard in that moment because all you know is your frustration, right? But you can't be frustrated. You can't be. You have to stay calm and you have to be happy and you have to want to entice that dog to want to pay attention to you. Your tone needs to reflect, hey, look over here. This is good when you look over here. Now you're able to redirect and control that focus. You have something to reward all because your tone stayed happy. Look, even at an appointment today, um, another it was another boot camp follow-up. It was actually a follow-up session after our boot camp. And um, they're working hard. They really are. They're working really hard still. And it's only been a couple of days since the dog went back. So, you know, I don't expect perfection by any means. Um, but we changed just the tone a little bit at the greeting at the front door. And man, it changed the dog's behavior instantly. Instantly when she cha- when when the owner changed her tone a little. And it's because she was a little, she was expecting the dog to do the wrong thing. She was anticipating the wrong thing to happen. And as I often say, if you anticipate the wrong thing to uh, happen, and you know, this is a saying, when you expect the bad thing to happen, the bad thing's going to happen. And it's so true. It's so true with the dog training. And it's mostly because you're expecting the bad thing to happen and then your body language and tone end up reflecting that and you don't even realize it. And then as I said, you're a mirror, your dog looks at you and goes, whoa, you're frustrated. You're, oh, should I be frustrated? Okay, woof, 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 right? But if your tone says, hey, buddy, look over here. Good boy. Now it's, oh, maybe I'm not supposed to woo, woo, woo. Maybe I'm supposed to look up at my owner and sit down and get a treat. Oh, maybe I shouldn't react at the front door. Okay. So it was really incredible. Just her changing her tone changed that dog's focus and then ended up changing the behavior, right? So that tone is so important in what you're conveying to your dog. Again, if you're trying to convey calmness to your dog, then guess, or excuse me, if you're trying to get your dog to be calm, then you need to convey that calmness to your dog. Okay, going, hey, sit, good boy, that's calm, that's calm. It's confident, it's cool, it's collected, it's calm. Nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. That's what it should sound like, okay? So just remember, Whatever you're trying to get your dog to do, you need to be reflecting that yourself. You need to be exuding that yourself. Lead by example, right? Lead by example in your tone needs to be that example. Never giving off frustration, always being confident, and always having some intensity behind it, okay? Now, something else with tone that's really interesting is the consistency of your tone. And what I mean by that is, Um, You know, I've talked about the dips before. We don't want to get a case of the dips. What are the dips? Sit, stay. Now, here's the thing. That tone is pretty consistent, right? (laughs) It's always dipping and talking like this. But as I just talked about, that tone reflects unsureness. Sit, oh my gosh, please stay. I don't know if you're going to stay there. That's not confidence. And while there's consistency in what that tone sounds like, it's not exuding confidence. And again, as I've also, you know, you want to be in and out with everything. You want to be in and out. I don't want to be sit, stay. I want to be, hey, sit, good, stay, really quick. You want to have bite-sized information when you're working with your dog. And having the case of the dips is not bite-sized information. It's sticking around too long. And dogs' brains are really fast. They are. They're very, they're very quick, 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 quick. So if you're going stay, and all that time that dog is going, wait, do they want me to stay or should I get a... There's too much time for that dog to think it's supposed to, hey, stay, good boy, good stay. 
that made more sense to Doug. Oh, I should stay. Oh, and he told me good job for staying. Oh, he told me good job for staying again. I got so much more information across than stay. <laughs> okay, so no dips. However, however, the consistency of the tone, the consistency of the tone is very important. Now, look, when I used to work at one of these large theme parks and I worked at an animal show there, right? And, and we had a lot of dogs in the show, a lot of different dog parts in the show. And what I discovered, you know, it's amazing when you, when you work at a place like that, it's such a rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, which is so phenomenal for being able to create consistency in your training um, that I, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I got really consistent with my tone where my good boy, good boy, good boy, sounded almost the same every time. Sit, 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 stay, stay, stay. All right, all right. My consistent, my tones became so unbelievably consistent. And what I discovered is the more I made that tone sound the same, the more I made each command and the tone of that command sound exactly the same each time, the faster my dog learned. Because here's the thing, guys, dogs are really simplistic. So if I say sit, 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 I literally just gave that dog five different commands in their brain. That was five different versions of that for that dog to try to interpret and understand. Okay, and I find that a lot with clients where it'll be like a first time they go, hey, sit, sit, sit. <laughs> First of all, inconsistency. Second of all, oh, there's a little anger behind that. Not good, not good. And now what you've taught your dog to do is not listen until one, you get angry, which that's not what we want. And two, it took three sits to get him to sit down. And then you give him a reward, guess what? You just reinforced the fact that that dog isn't gonna sit down until you say three of them. <laughs> they pick up on that stuff and until you bring the right tone. They pick up on that stuff. So this is why your consistency of the tone, how you say that tone, and the fact that you make sure you need to say it the same every time, it's so important, it's so vital. Um, really, like I said, I, I noticed such a huge difference when I started creating consistency in that tone. Now, I could argue, <laughs> I could argue you can create too much consistency in a tone to a fault. Now, I learned this the hard way with my boot camps. When a dog spends like, you know, three weeks with me at a time and they're pretty much spending all day every day with me and they're hearing that same tone over and over and over and over, and over especially with my release tone, my, or excuse me, my release command. And uh, my release word is all right. So I ask a dog to sit and stay. They need to continue to sit and stay until they say all right. Uh, and what I discovered is my tone was too consistent. I'd go all right, all right. All right, almost a little too consistent. Can you hear the collar again, guys? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. That's just, it's hilarious to me. This this girl is being so good because she's queuing into everything I'm saying and I'm almost confusing her a little with <laughs> repeating and jumping all over the place and I'm not really talking to her. I'm talking in the microphone, you know, uh, kind of funny. But, uh, but anyway, I discovered that saying all right, too consistent, too much, too much sounding like my voice. When I went and brought the dog back and my client doesn't sound like me and the tone doesn't sound like my tone, they would say all right to their dog and the dog looks at them and goes, what does that mean? <laughs> because I was too consistent. Um, it's like I say, guys, there can be too much of anything. Any obsessive behavior is not a good thing. Aha, even myself, 
if I am a little too particular, a little too consistent, (laughs) then the animal almost becomes dependent upon that intense consistency. It's good to start with that tone. And now, now, to my credit, it's good to start with that amount of consistency with the tone because the animal will learn faster. And this is this is the point I'm getting to. You want to start with that tone being sit, 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 sit every time. And I mean, there's really nothing wrong with that. And then you can start shaping it as the animal learns, as your dog figures it out after a month or two of this. Then I can go, hey, sit. And the dog will sit down without a problem. Okay. But sometimes you want to create that well, what you really want to do is you want to create that consistent tone to begin with and then you can shape it away from having to be that particular every time okay uh, but i have really seen such a night and day difference in how quickly a dog learns when you're consistent with the sound of the tone okay so again when it comes to tone and working with your dogs it's really 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 important Tone conveys a lot of things, okay? And the first thing that that tone needs to convey is that you're confident in yourself. You're sure of yourself. That's what you need to be telling your dog. And your tone is the first and easiest way to tell your dog that, okay? So as I say, don't be mean, just mean it. Have intensity. Have intensity behind what you do. Have purpose behind what you do. Your words need to mean something to your dog. It's not just a, hey, sit. Hey, sit. No, it's, hey, sit. Good boy. Hey, lie down. Good boy. You even hear my redirection that, hey, hey. I use hey as a redirection a lot. Or the kissy noise. There's even intensity behind my kissy noise, guys. It's not just, hey. No, it's, hey. You hear that? Intensity behind everything I do. Whether it's punishment, whether it's reinforcement, intensity equals confidence, and that's what your dog wants to seek out. And so it's really important, really, really important. Don't be mean. Just mean it. Create some intensity behind your tone so your dog wants to follow you, okay? Now, the other thing with tone we want to remember is be consistent with our tone. Be consistent in the sound and noise we use with our tone. So again, you heard me. I'm pretty consistent. Sit, 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 sit. Pretty much sounds the same every time. We don't want to get a case of the dips. No, sit, stay. None of that stuff. Number one, that doesn't equal confidence. And number two, you're not being in and out with your information. We want to be black and white with everything we convey. Sit, good. Stay, good. Very black and white. Very in and out. Okay, and the dips don't allow us to do that. But remember to also create that consistency in your tone so it sounds the same every time. Your dog is going to be able to pick up on it faster if we say sit, 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 sit in five different ways, then we're pretty much telling that dog five different, might as well be five different commands, okay? So remember to be consistent with your tone as well. They'll learn faster, they'll learn easier, and it'll make the training process go smoother, okay? So remember, always have intensity with everything you do. Don't be mean, just mean it, and create a nice, consistent tone, and your dog will be learning faster in no time. The answer to today's trivia question, what breed of dog has the longest ears? It's the Basset Hound. Yes, without a doubt, the Basset Hound's ears are the longest, as this breed holds the Guinness Book of World Records for longest dog ears, where a Basset from Germany named Jack holds the record at a whopping 13 inches. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the St. Bernard. The St. Bernards, they're a member of the working group, and of course, they are an extra large breed. Males can come in from 140 to 180 pounds, and females from 120 to 140 pounds. 
The St. Bernards are massive. They're a muscular dog, but don't let their size fool you. These guys are gentle giants and good natured. They're an amazing family pet too. They are wonderful with kids. And again, just so gentle. Now they don't need a ton of exercise, but one good long daily walk is still necessary. They do need early on training and they may not be the best dog for first time dog owners. And you know, it's important to teach these guys basic obedience and manners at a young age because a powerful breed like this without proper training, well, it can lead to some undesired behaviors. And of course, they're so big, they can knock people over. So got to get that training under control. Now, of course, everybody knows they thrive in the snow, but not so much in the heat. They can adapt to hot environments a little bit, but owners really must take caution when in hot environments. They are definitely a shudder, so they're not the dog for a neat freak out there, but they can also drool quite a bit. So you're going to want to keep those towels lying around and nearby, always ready to wipe off that slobber. Now, the St. Bernard, uh, they do come with some health ailments, as a lot of the large breeds do. You know, you got to be aware of it. As with all large-chested cavity, do uh, large cavity dogs, you have to be careful in watching out for bloat, as we've talked about before. They can also be susceptible to hip dysplasia, elbow issues, and cardiac problems as well. And unfortunately, being so big, they are a shorter-lived breed, only coming in around 8 to 10 years. Now, the St. Bernard originated in Switzerland, along with other breeds like the Bernese Mountain Dog and Greater Swiss Mountain Dog. They most likely came about from Mastiff-type dogs that came from the Roman armies that passed through the areas, and then they were bred with native Swiss dogs. Around this time in the Swiss Alps, uh, you know, dogs were kind of grouped together in two different groups, either the Tauhund groups, meaning valley dog, or the Barn, uh, I may, may butcher this a little bit, the Barnhund, which means farm dogs. Now, the area of the Alps where, uh, where these dogs were being developed was called the St. Bernard Pass, some 8,000 feet up in the mountains. This pass is so dangerous and deadly, it can only be crossed between the months of July through September. Now, the man that this pass would eventually be named for, Bernard de Menthon, arrived in 962 AD. He founded a hospice there in the mountains to help travelers through the area, and this is really where the story kind of begins for the St. Bernard breed that we know today. It's not exactly clear when the breed really came into, an ex uh, into existence, but there is a painting from 1695 with dogs that resemble the St. Bernard, and there's even mention of them in the monastery records dating back to 1703. The dogs were refined over the years, and they were used to help and locate and rescue people stranded in the elements. And we all know, St. Bernards are often depicted as having that whiskey or brandy barrel around their necks to give to the person once found. However, there really isn't any documentation validating this practice. You know, there was one painting that had a, had a St. Bernard with that barrel around the neck, but again, there, there's nothing written down, nothing documented. They did carry some supplies to bring to the uh, stranded person oftentimes. And what would happen is they'd send out two dogs and one dog would actually stay with the person and lay on top of them to help keep them warm. And the second dog would go back to show the people where the person was stranded. Now, during the centuries that the hospice was open, their record keeping kept track of the dog's rescues. And over the years, the dogs were credited with saving more than 2,000 travelers. That's incredible, it really is. And by the 1800s, though, the dog still lacked a formal name. It wasn't until 1833 that the suggestion was made to name them the St. Bernard. The breed made its way to the U.S. in the late 1800s, first being recognized by the AKC in 1885. And of course, in pop culture, we all know the most famous St. Bernard movie star of them all, Beethoven.
next on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Iris from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Iris asks, my Shih Tzu hates when I brush him. How can I fix this? You know, it's kind of a matter of just desensitizing. Really, that's that's kind of what it comes down to. Now, if, if your Shih Tzu is biting you, you know, if it's turning on the brush and biting you or biting the brush, that makes it a little more difficult and you do need to be careful, be cautious, don't want anybody getting bit. Uh, you know, sometimes putting on a bite glove in those scenarios might even be a good idea, just some kind of protection just to keep it safe as well as then your dog is not really getting away with the bite, right? Then you can kind of take the bite and then it's going to learn, hey, biting doesn't get me anywhere. Now, again, I want you to be very careful when it comes to that kind of stuff. And you may want to work with a professionalist. However, at the same time, desensitizing is something you can easily work on. A lot of times, even just the sight of a brush, if a dog is reacting like that, even just the sight of a brush is is a form of punishment. They work to avoid it, as I've talked about. It's an aversive. Uh, anything an animal works to avoid is the definition of punishment and an aversive. So that hairbrush has become a form of punishment if your dog works to avoid it. So something as simple as bringing out the hairbrush during feeding time and having it just even 10 feet away from the dog, just so the dog has seen the brush while it's eating. Or bringing out the brush and giving it a treat. Not trying to brush them, though. That's the thing. You want to desensitize them to the brush. So you don't want to immediately try to go and start brushing them. You want to start by keeping it simple, bringing the brush out, associating with food. And then not only that, the dog doesn't get brushed when it sees the brush every time. So it takes away a little bit of that intensity of the brush, too. right? So that's kind of where you want to start. See if you can take away that intensity and associate some food with it. Then you can slowly try to bring the brush closer, maybe even sit it next to the food bowl while they're eating. Again, always being careful, always being cautious, uh, but you want to work them up to being able to actually just touch them with the brush and give them some food, not even trying to do the brushing action, right? Then you're going to work it up to actually brushing and being able to give your dog treats and brush them at the same time. Okay? So desensitizing and reassociating uh, a happier, nicer stimulus, if you will. Something like food can always go a long way for that. So that's really how you want to go about starting to fix those kinds of behaviors. Next question. This comes from Jeremy in Houston, Texas. Jeremy says, my dog doesn't like the pool and water in general. Now we have a pool and anytime we take him just to go outside, he will take the furthest path possible from the water. What can I do to make him less afraid? You know, the thing is, this is, uh, once again, I've got two questions that kind of relate to each other. It's going to be a similar concept, Jeremy. You're going to have to desensitize them. Now, pools are a little more difficult. This can take some time. If you want to get your dog, like, not just afraid of the water, but swimming, that can take a long time and sometimes never. Uh, some dogs aren't built for swimming. You know, I don't know what your dog's breed is, but keep that in mind. Look, my 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 half-lab, half-great Dane that I used to have, Penny, she was not a good swimmer. Her body just wasn't built for it, you know? Uh, her arms, she really couldn't do the doggy paddle very well because her arms were so wide and big that she took these big circular motions and just she wasn't a natural-born swimmer, right? <laughs> so you do have to accept that fact sometimes that some dogs are just not born to swim. They're not designed to swim, and that's okay. But you don't want to force the water on them. Uh, it doesn't sound like you've been doing that, so I think you're already aware of this. Uh, but you really don't want to force a dog into a pool. You, it, it can tend to only make it worse and create more anxiety about it. It's best to take your time. So little things like when you're sitting out on the patio, I could probably wager that your dog is hiding. Like if you guys are just sitting out on your patio furniture, your dog probably almost hides behind the furniture, maybe away from the pool 
or behind a table or puts puts some good distance or something between it and the water. Just forcing them to be on the other side of that table. Again, not forcing them toward the water any more than that. Not forcing them in the pool, nothing. But just kind of putting them on the other side and not letting them be as scared and trying to wait for them to relax. And then once they do relax, reinforce it with some food. Things like that can go a long way. Um, you can also use a little bit of leash work. You know, there's different ways we can redirect and guide focus, trying to get them closer. But the whole idea is to try to desensitize, right? It's the same concept as the brush. You want to desensitize them to the water and try to associate food or something like that. Affection even can sometimes work, but you got to be careful with that. You don't want to be reinforcing anxiety. Um, but water can be a little tougher the hose, same kind of concept as the brush again. If, you, if your dog's afraid of a hose, because you said water in general, I'm going to assume that means like bath time. Bringing out a hose and turning the water on really lightly and just letting the hose lay on, like lay on the concrete and just pour the water out, right? Just letting them be near that, trying to give them food. See if they'll take the reward, take the food from you. And take your time with it. Uh, again, I'd go, I'd turn on the water, let it, you know, roll off, roll on the ground a little bit, roll it across the ground in water, let it flow across the ground and try to get them within 10 feet and just hanging out near the water and not caring about it. Then I'm going to turn the hose off and we move on. Then maybe we'll try it again the next day, spend a few minutes, so on and so forth. And then you can build them up to moving the water around, then maybe letting the water touch their feet a little bit. But slowly is really the way to approach something like this. Uh, water, for whatever reason, can really make a dog nervous. You know, with pools, part of my theory on it is with like a pool, you, when your dog gets in water, there's no, there's no uh, ground beneath their feet. And how often does a, an animal like a dog not feel the earth beneath their feet. There's really only two times if they're swimming in water or when they're a really young puppy and mom's picking them up by their scruff. Well, they're not getting picked up by their scruff and all of a sudden they feel the, feel the ground disappear from them. And if they're not used to that feeling like swimming, it could freak them out. And so that's what I see a lot with dogs and like pools. So a little also side note on once you, once your dog does get a little more comfortable going toward water, another great way to get dogs comfortable with water is find a gradual entry somewhere like a lake or a river, or if you have a gradual entry pool, even better. Um, those steps, steps in a pool, it's that, it's that, it's that having to step into the unknown and that feeling of losing the, losing the earth beneath their feet. I think it really throws them off. So a gradual entry can really help a dog feel more comfortable. If you can find a nice wading pool somewhere, right? I mean, I don't know if you, if you can, if you can find a nice shallow pool for them to be able to stand in. So it's like ankle deep on them. That's going to really help them feel more comfortable versus just stepping into the unknown down some stairs into a pool like that, right? So that's another way we can kind of get them acclimated. But again, the whole idea, take it slow, try to desensitize them slowly, use food, uh, take baby steps to get them there. So that way you can get closer and closer to the water. And again, you're making it a less scary thing slowly but surely. <laughs> going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, maybe that's dog related, training related, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, Speak a Dogcast. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Mm-hmm.